don't let your fear of something not being perfect kind of stop you from launching. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Whisker Talks, the Whisker Cloud veterinary marketing podcast. I'm Adam Greenbaum, CEO and founder of Whisker Cloud. Today, I have Adam Little, founder of GoFetch. What's going on, man? Hey, Adam. Good to be uh, with you and chatting about technology and vet med. We're uh, doing well here. I'm up in Vancouver, British Columbia, so about to hit the rainy season and, and hopefully get some snowboarding in, but otherwise doing well. How about yourself? Uh, coming to you live from Southern California, where it's windy and everything is on fire. <laughs> in fact, we typically don't have the fires that close to us in Orange County, but we had some recently. We've got some evacuation orders for some of our employees. So yeah, it's been a weird time, but I'm excited to chat with you, man. I don't care. I said, you know what? The whole world could be on fire. Adam Little and I are talking about technology on this <laughs> podcast, and I don't care what anyone says. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. I, well, it's certainly been a very interesting time to be in the, in the veterinary space over the last several months. And I'm sure there's lots that we can dig into uh, today about that. Well, before we jump in, you're going to appreciate this more than most. You and I, over the course of dinners at conferences, have found that we're both insane Marvel fans. Yep. Yep. Everyone that comes on, I ask them their veterinary origin story. When did the radioactive <laughs> bite their hand when it was a gamma radiation bomb dropped on them so let's talk about yours your intro to vet med the spider bit your hand how did that get started i think one of the things that's sometimes surprising to folks is that i fully intended when i went to veterinary school to be a practicing clinical veterinarian sometimes people are surprised to hear that I actually had those ambitions given where i've ended up more on the startup and technology side of things but it was for me, I think that there was a couple of key moments that put me on a bit of a different trajectory. So the first was a story that I shared a couple of times, but I used to have a family dog named Jewel and Jewel was a yellow lab and she was a big part of our lives growing up. And when I was in second year vet school, she developed congestive heart failure. And I lived about an hour away from the University of Guelph. I went to vet school, was about an hour away from my hometown. And so I'd kind of frequently see my folks and get updates on her health. And it was around this time, actually, uh, around Halloween on my second year, when I got a call from my mom saying that my dog, uh, Jewel, wasn't doing very well. She wasn't recovering normally after a recent walk. And so I got the feeling from my mom's from my mom's voice that this was something was definitely off. So I decided to go home that evening and it was clear that she was like not in good shape. She had labored breathing and she was really struggling. So I suggested that we pack the car and get ready to go to the emergency room. And in the time that we were preparing the back of our Dodge Grand Caravan to transport it to the emergency room, she collapsed in my living room and she never got back up. And for me, there was kind of two things that really stuck with me from that experience that have really shaped my career and I think pushed me in a bit of a different direction with respect to how to use my veterinary background. The first was my mom loved that dog. She spent every waking moment with that dog. So it was seemed really unfair that somebody who was that close, that emotionally invested, had to see the last kind of moments of my of my dog's life kind of go through such a traumatic experience. And then the second part is we had a great veterinarian, somebody who had been managing Jules Care, who the next time he was going to find out about his patient, it was going to be to 
to unfortunately bring her body back to the clinic. And for me, that like just struck to be like a very broken system, <laughs> like one that didn't serve anybody really well, where pet owners were at times not armed with the information, not armed with the tools that they needed in order to help manage their pet's care. And that most veterinary clinics were so disconnected from the day-to-day management of their pet's care. And in some cases had a lot less ability to influence that care than they might expect. So it seemed like from my perspective, we needed to build a different system of veterinary care. In parallel with that, I was also doing a lot of work with veterinarians without borders in Tanzania. And I began to appreciate the different ways in which veterinary medicine could be used to serve society. And so I kind of came back from those two experiences thinking, if my goal is to help as many patients as possible, the best way to do it would be to enable and create new models of care that would allow my colleagues to be able to practice more efficiently and more effectively. And I thought that technology could be a way to help achieve those goals. So for me, a huge motivation for my career has always been, how can I help the most animals possible? And for me, that means actually stepping outside of the clinic and building a company and hopefully a new approach to helping to empower more people to access care for their pets and helping more veterinarians provide it. Wow. That story is really heartbreaking to hear. I hear stories like that often. And obviously, I talk to our employees here at WhiskerCloud and I say, listen, you might be having a bad day. You weren't around when six families had to leave a practice heartbroken today. So, you know, always have empathy and, and feel bad for our clinics and the, and the customers at WhiskerCloud works with just because like that story you just told. I was literally listening to you. You listen to someone tell a story and you're picturing it in your head. And I was picturing my dog in that same scenario and thinking about how heartbreaking it would be to go through that. And I, uh, it's just a, it's a terrible story, but it's nice when stuff like that empowers your and ignites your passion for animals and for this industry. Cause I think that's what we're all here for. We all love animals. We all love the industry and we're all really passionate about it. And that's what I really like about you is just that deep passion that you carry both for this industry and for the technology in this industry, which continues to be outdated no matter how many podcast episodes I do, how many blog posts we write. You and I, I feel like we see each other once a year. Yeah. We catch up on, Hey, People still hate technology and veterinary medicine. Yep. Okay, cool. Well, I'll see you next year. Maybe we'll we'll do something better. So why? Why does this industry not believe in technology? Please enlighten us all. I think it's a multifaceted. And I think oftentimes veterinarians are, are kind of treated as scapegoat in this equation, but maybe just to kind of share how I think about it. So I think in many ways, we're kind of on to this, the beginning of kind of hopefully a new phase in how technology is brought to and implemented within practices and the types of tools that are available to veterinarians. And from my perspective, you know, the first wave of, let's say, companion animal practice over the, like the last 100 or so years. So in that period of time, we saw the growth of, of pets as being members of the household. We saw really companion animal veterinary clinics actually get started. And for the first 100 years, it was pretty analog and pretty manual, right? So as a person working in a small town, you could kind of put up a sign, open up a practice, and you were going to get clients that are coming in. Most of the clients would be with you for years, if not generations, and things sort of just worked. And then you move to kind of phase two with like the advancement of the internet and other things that really force practices to begin to digitize some of the ways that they manage their businesses and they manage their clients and they manage their patients' care. And the first wave of these technologies 
many of which still exist today, were kind of built for a world that didn't require the same level of integration. It didn't require the same level of kind of responsiveness. It didn't require, it didn't take into account the new ways in which clients might want to interact with their veterinarians and the expectations that have been created. And now what we have in my mind is a, a really significant gap that exists where pet owners have higher expectations than ever before, both in terms of their pet's care, but just in terms of like what a consumer experience looks like in 2020. They're spending more money. They place higher expectations on their on their veterinary staff. And the models of care and the tools that support those models haven't evolved quickly enough to be able to support practices and offering that experience. And I think one of the big challenges of the, most of the solutions today is that the first wave of technology was really about, hey, I'm going to put this into your practice, but you're going to have to figure out like how it works, how it integrates. You're going to have to set up all these settings. You're going to have to spend your life kind of looking at a computer now. And in some ways, they actually achieve the opposite of what I think veterinarians want, which is when I talk to vets, most of their most of them say like my perfect day is not having to spend a lot of time like looking at a screen. It's doing things that are with my patients, doing things that are with my team. And the first generation of these sort of digital tools actually took veterinarians away from the tasks that they like doing most and put them behind screens doing tasks that they didn't like to do, didn't want to do, or weren't necessarily well equipped to perform. And so I think what needs to happen is that the next wave of technologies in the space need to be much more seamless and much more intelligent with how they operate. So I'll give you a specific example, right? Let's say as a practice, you're implementing a reminder system and you have to portal over your patient's data and you have to set up the right templates to be able to figure out, okay, when should I be reminding people for an upcoming surgery or post-appointment follow-up? What should the button look like and how should I structure these templates and things like that? And it just involves a ton of micro decisions, which end up leading to a lot of fatigue within the team or even paralysis from beginning. And instead of expecting tens of thousands of these veterinary clinics to try to configure the systems themselves, we should be almost elevating the care and the way that people use these tools by intelligently suggesting best practices, by using the ways in which people are using these technologies to help inform how they should be successfully implemented. And instead, I think what's left, what veterinary practices are today left with, and the result is they don't always respond well to new tools is that, okay, I now have more places than ever that I have to look at for information. None of it talks to each other. I have to set it up correctly. If it's set up incorrectly, it's going to have impacts on my patients or my clients or my staff. And now I have to manage so many systems, none of which kind of work in the way that I would like. And so it's easier for people to say, look, I'm not even going to bother. That's a kind of a few thoughts on that. But I, I do think it's partially because as veterinarians, they focus on the edge cases. Veterinarians are risk adverse, which is usually a really good quality for a doctor. But in a lot of cases, the tools themselves aren't just at a certain caliber that they really solve the jobs and, and solve the problem, do the jobs and solve the problems that veterinarians need them to. And it ends up requiring a lot of manual work and oversight, which veterinarians don't have time to do. You know, it's funny. It's like, I hear you talk about that and I completely envision that. And it's just so funny. It's like even at Whisker Cloud, when we're trying to come up with our automated emails that we send to people, no one would believe the amount of effort that I personally, as the owner of the company, that I put into 
how do we want to introduce the email? How do we send it two hours after the site launches? Do we send it four hours after the site launches? And I mean, I go through all of those things. So what you're saying about setting up like a reminder system, it's so true. And I think luckily you have these companies out there that do reminders that do a great job of sort of having that built in and having that data. But there's no perfect template. There's no perfect timing. And I, I'm with you on the paralysis at the beginning. I like that you said that. We, we just made a switch to a new CRM. You and I talk about crap like CRMs all the time. And yeah, it's like we're sitting here saying, okay, what fields do we want? What fields do we actually care about for each veterinary hospital on the Whisker Cloud platform? So they they sign up with us. They don't know that internally we're sitting here saying like, do we list how many doctors they have? Does it matter? Should we know? Do we want to segment them like that? Do we want to make special offers based on the size of them? I'm with you on all of these parts of technology. And I think a lot of our hospitals struggle with when they're creating like forms on their website or they want to do like automated curbside check-in or automated surgical consent forms and things like that. They go through this thing where they're thinking to themselves, okay, well, wait, what questions do we really need to know? How many questions do you want to have? So I'm with you. There's just so much stuff that goes into the technology. So someone like you who's building big things at GoFetch, someone like me at WhiskerCloud, I always wish they know that like we're sitting here going through that same mental gymnastics course that they're going through it. This sucks. It's not fun. But once you get it figured out and it's working for you, man, holy shit, it changes everything in the practice. The other thing too, and a lot of other people have shared this kind of sentiment. There's an individual by the name of Palmer Lucky, who was one of the he was one of the founders, well, the founder of Oculus, and he's doing some work in the defense side. But one of his company kind of quotes is that like customers are really good at telling you what the problems are, but they're terrible at telling you what the solution should be. And I think that goes really true for like for medical and healthcare problems because oftentimes when I speak to veterinarians their lens at what's possible is so narrow, is so restricted because they just haven't been exposed to the incredible tools that exist. And so it's kind of like hiring a carpenter to do a job and they only have one tool on their tool belt. And so they're trying to use that same tool for everything, recognizing that, hey, there's probably different things, that, different pieces of equipment that you should be using to make this job go more smoothly or make it easier or develop a higher quality output. And I think that's one of the challenges with being a veterinary practice is that you have so many hats that you're wearing and the number of jobs that now you have to do are growing rapidly and expanding that you can't be great at all of them. And so if you're not in a position where you have teams like ours or resources that you can call on, you're probably really limiting yourself to a specific set of solutions that probably are not going to be fully compatible with what you're you're looking for. So, for example, the amount of times that veterinarians will ask me something, they'll be like, wouldn't it be great if X, Y, and Z? And it's like, well, that product already exists, right? That technology already exists. That's not like a future thing that exists today. But it's not their necessarily job or focus to be fully aware of all the different technologies and tools that exist. But if you have no appreciation for the fact that, for example, you can easily set up web stories. You can set up ways to text your clients. You can record your screen and create videos of you dictating diagnostic results. These things that today are just kind of commonly used for businesses like ours to just run our businesses are really foreign to most veterinary practices. And so it ends up really limiting what practices think is possible when there's actually a lot more available to them than meets the eye, if that makes sense. 
No, it makes a lot of sense. And and I did this exercise with Brandon Brashear, who runs our advertising team here. And and I thought it was really great where I said, you know, hey, you just bought a clinic. What's your monthly budget? Where are you putting your ads? What keywords are you going after? Because I wanted the people listening to really take away something and really get that like, hey, I'm going to, this is me. I could put myself in those shoes. This is what I would do. So you and I are both techie guys. So let's say tomorrow yeah. you took out a loan, you purchase we can either purchase a, an existing clinic or you just built a new clinic you know and you're a month away from opening so talk about the technology you'd implement like immediately what's the first thing you would do yeah so i think one of the things that practices kind of get wrong in this is that the traditional model has been as a practice i open the doors and hope people that come in and it might take a year or two to build up a sufficient client base and they use the physical location and the physical kind of space as the bottleneck to get started you can reverse that right instead what i would build is like a foundations or like a membership program and this is some of the work that we're doing at gofetch already but like it's the idea that you can start to build a relationship with your community long before you ever open your doors and actually get financial commitments from pet owners in order to be kind of early members of your clinic and so what i would do is i create a program a subscription care model that would be available maybe to the first 500 clients that sign up they have to pre-commit with an initiation fee or maybe the first month and they get a variety of benefits that are attractive to them, whether that's discounted services, more of a kind of wellness plan piece, maybe a credit when the clinic does open, but some way in order to basically begin to build a community of pet owners that you can work with long before you ever open your doors. That would be a great way to start to get feedback on everything from when should we be open? What types of services should we offer? What types of logos or branding are resonating with our community? And it creates this really participatory relationship with your early owners of, again, long before you ever open open the doors of your practice. The other advantage of that approach is it allows you to cut through the episodic nature of veterinary care. And what I mean by that is one of the challenges for veterinary practices in general is that even if you have the greatest ads, chances are you're reaching a pet owner at a time when they don't have an urgent reason to make a purchase decision. And what I mean by that is if you create a Facebook ad that says, hey, you know, we have a new practice on 9th and Smith, come soon, it's hard to create a reason for people to like actually come to the clinic, right? They look at their pets and they say, well, maybe they're sick right now, but there's a good chance that they're not. Maybe they need vaccines right now, but again, there's a good chance that today's or this month isn't the, the day that you need it. And so what's the reason for somebody to take action and begin to develop a relationship with your practice the moment they see one of those advertisements? And that's where some of these other business models can be really attractive because you can create and manufacture a sense of urgency around establishing a relationship with a new practice. What we do at GoFetch is things like join our program today and earn a $50 credit towards your next visit or discounts on the membership fee, et cetera. But some reasons so that when somebody is engaged by the content that you're putting out there, you can convert them as an owner and ideally as a lifelong customer. I think the other thing that people fail to understand too is that for vet practices, this idea of developing a customer base that is going to have a high kind of lifetime value, which is just really built into the model of veterinary care. What I mean by that is if you get a client today, there's a good chance that you can keep them for several years. And in some cases, the entire lifetime of the pet. And so the value of acquiring those customers is actually really, there's a lot of value associated with that. That means that you really can invest in customer acquisition costs because of the nature of those client bonds. So yeah, a couple of things that I would do, get up a website, start to tell your story, 
provide a reason for people prior to opening up those front doors to form a relationship with your connect and then use that community in order to get feedback on the questions that you have and, and get feedback from your owners long before you ever open the front door. Who would you have uh, build that website and handle that branding for you? <laughs> oh, you know, I'd have to think about it. No, no, it's uh, so this is the importance of, and this is another kind of point, like when you start to go down these paths, in particular, as practices need to adapt, you really want to look at the companies that you're working with more as like technology partners, because as you've mentioned before, the scope of the engagement with practices changes and evolves as their needs evolves and as, as uh, consumers begin to, to place new expectations on practices. And if you have a partner that you trust that can respond to those, that is forward thinking you begin to really be able to rely on them on a whole bunch of things outside of the kind of core product that you're buying. And so obviously what you're doing with Whisker Cloud is a lot more than just building websites because you really take more of this partnership approach where, hey, if you're looking to grow your client base and you're looking to reach them digitally, there's a whole bunch of solutions that we have that are able to help you. And as a result, you end up funneling a lot more technology problems to people that can really help you out. And so I'm sure in your business, you probably have lots of examples of things that like are not really squarely in the fairway for you, but just because you are a reputable, engaged, available partner to these practices, they end up calling you first <laughs> for a lot of things. I've had practices that call me up to help reset their passwords for websites that like we have no affiliation with. And it's just because, and that's a little bit I would say stepping over the responsibilities that we provide, but it's this idea that like once you're in this circle of trust, there's a lot that you can do to support practices beyond just your core capabilities. Just so you know, something cool we're building right now, I, and I've been envisioning this for a long time. I said I want the Whisker Cloud Inspiration Board. I basically want to create a Pinterest board where people can type in something they're curious about, forms, or like today we just built out, we've started building these really custom link tree pages because a lot of hospitals, I think we manage, I don't know, four or 500 Instagram accounts for client. I mean, it's up there and it's like the link tree options, like you can use a linktree.com. So we'd implemented that for a couple clients and we're like, well, wait a second, now your data sucks because you're doing these awesome posts or our team's creating these awesome posts for you. And then, you know, what we're seeing, we're seeing like referral traffic from Linktree. We're not seeing referral traffic from Instagram or from Facebook. So we kind of were bugged by that. So we just said, screw it. We're going to build out our own custom, fully badass animated Linktree pages. But like those are ideas that are just, even when we started offering them, you know, we had people saying like, hey, can you do this on our Instagram page? We would just say like, like, hey, while we're on that subject, we let us build this for you and see how it goes. And people early on were like, holy shit, this is so cool. And we're like, you know, there's like a whole ecosystem out there of companies that charge for this, that will build you these link tree pages, but they don't officially live on your site. So you're adding another step in the funnel. You're adding another click to the process. We don't love that. So we just said, screw it, we're going to build it. So yeah, we have this idea because it's like you were saying, well, like, well, I'm going to build out this we're going to have this membership platform and we're going to get people and we're going to be work on attracting new clients. We're going to work on retaining clients. We're going to have all of this with rewards and things like that. I imagine that for a lot of vet hospitals, that's even hard to envision if they've never done anything like that. Like they probably hear that and think, okay, this is going to be tough. We don't know where to start. So how do you sell that? How do you sell GoFetch to them? I know you, and I know you've probably got insane decks and, and technology demos to show them, but how do you explain to them the same way we have to explain? They're like, where's our website hosted? Well, we do it. Well, how do I know it's secure? We do it. Well, what about our social media? We do it. It's like, how do you 
answer those questions while showing them something that maybe isn't as visual as like, hey, here's a pretty website we made for you? It's a really good question. So I think one of the advantages of what we're doing is that we've made some really deliberate decisions about how our model works and how our business model works that ends up allowing practices to really quickly understand what we're all about. So for those of you who aren't familiar with GoFetch, we're a membership program for pet owners that helps them save money on vet care. And our larger vision is to really transform how people pay for care. The first iteration, let's say, the first version of the membership right now is that there's a variety of key benefits for pet owners in terms of how they save money. So the first is they have 24-7 access to veterinarians to call and chat whenever they want. So they avoid unnecessarily going to the emergency room or they avoid unnecessarily tying up your phones if they uh, by receiving kind of qualified support whenever they need. The second is that members receive 5% back on all their veterinary care. And it kind of acts a little bit like a savings account. So we're finding in practice that most members are kind of holding that balance over time and letting it build up. And then the third is that we find additional product and service savings, whether that's like a pharmaceutical product that has a mail-in rebate associated with it, or perhaps the practice is launching a promotion through our platform to drive dental compliance. That's really how we help people save money. And then from the clinic's perspective, you know, what we've done and kind of our process is to say, okay, look, what are the things that are really bothering you right now? Because in Especially right now, if you're not solving kind of the one or two top pain points for a practice, they just don't have any time for you right now. So for a lot of them, it's like, I'm just so overwhelmed by the amount of work and the amount of time and the amount of energy that's going into managing clients. And I just can't take any more work. And we're like, okay, that's a great place to start. You know, for us, one of the things that we've made a deliberate decision to do is really build out our model in a way where the practice isn't responsible for managing, administering, marketing, doing any of the traditional work that's usually associated with software. And so for most capabilities that practices want, the model looks something like this. A company sells the practice software, they set it up, they configure it, and then the clinic is responsible for really making it work within the practice, right? So there's lots of examples of practices buying technology that ultimately didn't suit their needs or didn't work for their clients. But the way that those businesses tend to work is that their motivations are to get clinics to sign up because once a clinic signed up, they're making money. Whether or not the clinic gets a ton of value from the tool or a little bit of value from the tool or using it correctly or incorrectly, there's a situation where... The business models align in a way where the practice is a customer and therefore, once the contract's closed, the business is making money. Our model works a little bit different. We don't charge practices anything. We don't make any money from our clinic partners. And instead, they support the rewards. And the reason that we think this model works better is twofold. The first is that clinics are now investing in their own clients, not in software tools. So clients are building deeper relationships with their clients And as a result, they're able to provide this really compelling experience. The second part is, as a company, we're highly motivated to get your clients to become members of our service and use the membership to its fullest potential because we only make money if people sign up and see value in it. And that allows us to create a really strong alignment of incentives with the clinic where Pet owners sign up if they're using the program, they're saving money, they're using the benefits. Clients that are active members of our software end up becoming your best practice clients. And the clinic isn't responsible for kind of managing and administering the program because of a lot of the automation that we built in. So the way that we kind of, you know, the TLDR pitch for clinics is imagine you could supercharge your practice, give all your clients the capabilities that you've always wanted them to have, but you didn't have to do any of the work and you didn't have to pay any of the software costs. 
And that's proven to be a really effective model for us to be able to take in particular independent practices that have smaller teams and begin to kind of give them superpowers. On episode two of this podcast, Brandon Brashears and I talked about converting ads. We told some of our horror stories, which I think were really good educational tools. So we were cold calling our clinics that were running ads and you know they'd put us on hold for six minutes. And we had the CEO of the hospital group on Zoom with us. So when you talk about like what you guys have built here, I assume there's still something that they have to do and they have to sell. You're going to set it up and and build this for them, but they still have to do the work and tell their clients. And is there a gap there? How do you ensure that the doctor who might have said, wow, this is amazing. I love this. But the doctor's also seeing patients all day. How do you make sure it gets sold properly? Most companies have a approach where for them to be successful, they need to somehow take, in many cases, the least experienced, the lowest paid individuals, which are usually the front desk staff individuals, who are incredibly overwhelmed and busy, and then have them be confident and competent in selling their new thing. And I just don't think that model works very well. Most new technology solutions and most new services at a clinic literally and figuratively don't get past the front desk. And what I mean by that is they end up being brochures along with 40 other brochures at the front desk of something that the clinic offers, but really doesn't integrate fully within their practice and maybe doesn't have a good sense of where and how it adds value to their clinic. So we do something a little bit different. The majority of our signups come direct from our marketing campaigns that are developed and coordinated through the practice. So because our program is really simple and affordable, it doesn't require a lot of complex explanations to staff or clients. Most clients sign themselves up directly, either after an appointment or before. We coordinate all the launch campaigns and create a reason for people to sign up within the first 30 days of launch. And so what we've done is, as opposed to focusing our attention on putting more stress and work on the front desk standpoint and try to get them better at explaining our thing, we make it so they, even if they don't have the time to explain what we're doing, it doesn't stop clients from seeing the value in signing up. So that's been really effective because it means that we can help drive success with the practice and grow the number of clients in the program, regardless of how effective the front desk staff are. So that's kind of one piece. The second is what we found is that front desk staff don't like to sell things, right? And that sell by selling things, I can mean like advocating for blood tests or trying to drive compliance. This, this notion, again, that you're going to take a bunch of people that aren't inherently excited about being salespeople and somehow flip a switch and now they want to play that role, I think is a little bit far-fetched. And so we actually make it so that the front desk staff doesn't have to collect credit cards. They don't have to sign people up. There's a really simple invite flow that takes a lot of the pressure off the front desk staff because we tell them up front, don't worry about having to remember all the details, send a client an invite, and then we have some referral and bonus programs in there for staff. And what we found is that by moving that sales conversation to our shoulders and making it really lightweight and easy for staff members to have that initial conversation. It takes a lot of the anxiety off and the pressure off the front desk staff having to really having to be superheroes in order for your program to be successful. And so I always get cautious when companies are like, well, look, we're going to grow through vet clinics and all the front desk staff has to do is A, B, and C, because from my experience, getting people to all of a sudden do that A, B, and C is actually a lot harder than people expect. So as opposed to solving for those problems, we just eliminate them as problems altogether. Wow. And how's it been going? How's everything going with GoFetch? Yeah, so it's it's been 
really interesting. Like it's going really well. So we launched this basically last November and we've been really focused on growing with a kind of core group of practices to be able to evolve the product as quickly as possible. I think, again, a lot of companies try to scale too quickly and then they find out that like the market doesn't want it or that there's problems. And so what we've really focused on is deepening the experience with our members and clients. We've learned a lot. For example, our members on average make their membership feedback within nine months. So all our members are earning well above their membership fee, which is really useful. We found that the promotions and incentives that clinics can can run on our platform end up being really targeted ways for them to drive compliance without them having to like do the traditional work. So that's been really interesting. The other thing that I think has been really helpful is that by positioning ourselves as this company that works and empowers the practice while creating kind of a direct relationship with the pet owner, it really avoids situations where the clinic is responsible for providing like ongoing member support or feels that they have to like solve all the technical issues. It creates enough of a separation on a day-to-day basis between like member management and what the clinics need to focus on while at the same time, the rewards model really being focused on building that relationship back with the clinic, that it, it's been really an effective way for us to be able to deliver value to pet owners and help our practice partners without creating that unnecessary work. So for us right now, we are, we're going to be expanding to the US next year. And a lot of the underlying technology that we've developed is going to help power some new use cases around payment that we're super excited by. That kind of core thesis, as I shared, where can you take an independent practice, regardless of its technological savviness, regardless of its budget, provide them with the modern experience that clients want and do it in a way that doesn't require them to rip and replace new software or hardware is kind of a model that we that really seems to be working. And I think that practices are are really clamoring for. I love it, man. I just love more technology in this space. I mean, you've worked with like AI and chatbots in the past and and I'm fascinated by this too. It's like, you know, even with Whisker Cloud, we sit here and we're like, okay, so we do the ads and the social media and the websites and the SEO and the hosting and branding and landing pages and campaigns. And we do all these things. And I sit there and think to myself, oftentimes, this isn't enough. What else could we be doing? Who else should we be partnering with? And we partner with companies like Pet Desk. And you and I have talked a lot in the past about finding a way to tie some things together. And I just want to Like I want vets to fully embrace the future of technology in veterinary medicine. In COVID, it was just interesting that we sort of had, and I think we've seen it, people like you, people like me, they're just beating the drum here. And I feel like people are getting more interested in it. Obviously, people like Danielle and all of the education she's giving to thousands of people every day. And people are starting to realize, hey, we need to care about this and that. And we need to care about our website. We need to care about our memberships and and rewards and things like that. What's it going to take? Was COVID the final kick in the ass that we needed where it's like, hey, this is it. People can't come in the door. You can't have 10 people in the waiting room. You certainly don't want to be handing people clipboards with a pen that 50 other people touched to fill out paperwork when you could do it on your website. You certainly don't want to have a clinic phone where 10 people are going to be picking it up and talking into it and putting their mouths near it. I mean, that just sounds gross pre-COVID to me. So was this it? Was this like the dawn of the new age of veterinary technology? I'll say yes, but maybe with a bit of an asterisk. I think what COVID did is it created the conditions that forced practices to adapt much more quickly and frankly, take risks 
that they wouldn't normally do. So one of the things that you hear a lot from practices is like, okay, like this year we're going to do X. And they have this mindset where they can slowly adopt technology. It's really in their control. And sometimes because of just kind of the inertia of historical workflows, it's easy to fall back into your old patterns. What COVID did is it created the conditions where like you couldn't go back. Right. So to your point, it forced a level of initially interest and awareness and then adoption of a lot of these technology tools. I think what we're finding now is that practices are realizing it isn't enough to just have a bunch of technology pieces. They really need to figure out how they work together to be able to create kind of a unified, high quality workflows and client experience. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's already surveys out there about clients' responses to curbside appointments and, you know, do clients like that as much as we think and are we going to go back? But I don't always think that those surveys really tell the full story. So for example, if as a client I'm showing up at a practice and I'm waiting two hours and I don't know where I'm supposed to go and I'm having difficulty paying and I can't get a hold of the doctor and I'm trying to stay, like obviously that's a bad experience. That doesn't necessarily mean that like curbside doesn't work. That means that the way that you're delivering curbside visits isn't working. And one of the things that I think practices kind of fail to miss is that they try these things, they don't work out as expected, and then they sort of write off the entire category as like a failure. And that's like a really dangerous mindset because oftentimes it takes multiple iterations and refinements in order to kind of get to the solution that ends up winning. So for example, like Facebook wasn't the first social network right? It was the one that ended up reaching a billion people. But there was a lot of work and a lot of failed attempts before that. One of the anecdotes that one of our investors shares is uh, about this that I think really hits home for me. It's like, imagine you opened a pizza store, a pizza restaurant on the street, and your pizza was shit and you charged $30 a slice. And so nobody bought your pizza. And then after two months that you closed, you couldn't draw the conclusion that people don't like pizza. They don't like your pizza. They don't like the way that you're selling it. They don't like the taste. They don't like the business model. But to say like people don't like pizza would be wrong. And so I think what ends up happening is practices fail to appreciate that there's a lot of complexity and a lot of different variations on how they can deliver some of these technologies. And there's going to be recipes that just don't work. And if your conclusion is, oh, my clients don't want texting. My clients don't want to purchase things online. My clients don't want different payment mechanisms. I think that they're drawing the wrong conclusions. And one of the kind of the mental exercises that I get practices to kind of go through is, are there things that you strongly believe in about your client base that are different than the high level trends that we know about consumers and being really thoughtful about where those differences lie? Because if you think that you live on an island where your pet owners behave completely different than every other pet owner, I think you're often kidding yourself. And so that's where I think practices, what COVID did from a technology perspective is it forced them to try new things. But I think a lot of practices didn't quite get the results that they were expecting and they didn't work nearly as well as they would have hoped. And so now they're drawing the wrong conclusions. And I think that might put them at a disadvantage from actually being able to experiment to find out what works. Well, let's do this. Let's do this exercise. What you just said is true. It's like, I just talked to one of our vets up in Northern California and we had built them out a curbside form and we had customized it and done all this stuff for them. And I talked to them often, I have family in the area and we were talking and the practice manager said, well, it's just not working for us. I said, why? She said, because we're not sitting there to like monitor the emails so that we get the alerts that they're there. Yeah. And I said, okay, but you had us build you this 
because you said to our support team, like, what am I supposed to do to stand outside? So we said, no, don't stand outside. Wait at the computer. You'll know that someone's either there or someone that's on their way when they check in. It, you know, you can enter their appointment day and time. So, you know, at 1130, Adam's going to show up and, you know, the car to look for and, you know, the dogs that are coming in. Why not use that? And she just said, I'm weak into using it. No one is paying attention to the email. So I can't fix that. No one could fix that. But what I typically like to tell stories about is how we do things at WhiskerCon. I'm going to share a quick example. And I want to hear like what you guys do internally at GoFetch because I know a couple of people from your team. So for us, we have a website survey people need to fill out. I would say 75% do a great job of filling it out. Over the years, it's gotten longer and longer as we've said, okay, well, we just need to know this stuff. We need to know this information. We have 25% that just kind of whiz through it. Don't give a shit. What colors do you like? Uh, blue. What kind of animals do you like? Cool dogs. And you're like, okay, what's the mood and tone you want to convey on your website? Fun. It's like, hmm. Where other people say, we've been here for 30 years we love the community. Our hospital looks like an old barn. You know, we want to make sure that people understand that we're really into personalized attention and care. These are some of the things we do. When you ask what colors they like, they're like, okay, so we really like the colors of bricks. So like that burnt red and, you know, they give us all this detail. What kind of animals do you want us to feature on your website? Well, we see a lot of chocolate labs and labradoodles and French bulldogs. So it's like, okay, this is great. We're going to really personalize this site. So what did we do? We said, okay, 25% of people that fill this out are sort of mailing it in. How do we change it? How do we rework it? So A, it's still not this big cumbersome homework project that they have to do, but B, it's sort of a fun thing where they get to say, hey, I'm putting all this information out. I get to tell you all about us and I know that you're going to build me something amazing. So we've gone through multiple iterations and probably four or five hours worth of meetings with multiple teams, the marketing team, the client success team, the web team. What can we do? What can we make conditional? We do all of that just to make their entry survey form at Whisker Cloud better for us and a kind of a better experience for them. So when I am on the phone and they're like, no one's checking the email, it's like, well, just have someone check the email. <laughs> Put a plan in place. Hey, from eight to noon, you are keeping an eye on this for anyone. From noon to five, you're keeping an eye on this. So like when you guys are, whether it's working on a marketing campaign, working on email, changing your website... I have to imagine as a fellow tech company, you guys are a lot like us. Like we're in the process of rebuilding whiskercloud.com right now. I'm not kidding you. I, we've gone through 50 designs. So you guys go through this too, right? We're not crazy. And like vet med should be listening to us saying we should be doing this too. Yeah, well, that idea of iterating quickly and getting feedback is like super critical and getting things out in the wild and really getting honest feedback from people is, is, is really important. So like we've done that. We do a ton like a ton of like dedicated user and clinic research where we have 10 or 12 people that we go through hour long sessions with a kind of a structured user research process. Because from our perspective, we're trying to figure out how do we reduce the amount of time to learn things about how our product is perceived or communicated or the features that would be of value. And one of the things that we've, what we really try to internalize is like don't let your fear of something not being perfect kind of stop you from launching 
So what I mean by that is a lot of practices spend a lot of time planning out, okay, how is this going to work and what are all our flows? And then they put something into the wild. Maybe it's like a, a new telemedicine appointment or a new intake flow, and it doesn't work as they had expected, but they've spent so much time and energy and kind of practice goodwill in the planning stage that now that it doesn't work as expected, they don't have kind of the resilience grit or the buy-in from their team to respond. They just say, hey, it didn't work the way that we would like, so we'll shut it down. And I think that is really challenging if you can't respond quickly to that feedback. So what we found for us is really acknowledging internally, okay, what are the things that are part of these kind of minimal viable requirements for this to work? What are the key questions that we're trying to find the answers to in the first kind of 30 days in launch? And then how will we go about finding those? So we do a ton of like A-B testing on emails. We do a lot of those user research groups. We also try to default to simplicity whenever possible. So I'll give you a specific example. When we started with GoFetch, we, we developed a much more complicated reward structure where the practices could basically create what we call these checklists and assign dollar values for completing different services, kind of like a, a new take on wellness plans. In theory, that sounds like practices would love it because then they can customize it, they can add different rewards amount, but in practice, it was a real big failure for a couple obvious reasons and non-obvious reasons. The first is like complexity compounds. So if you start accommodating the different whims for every practice, that means from like your billing perspective, your marketing perspective, your product perspective, you're having to basically accommodate that complexity in every part of your business, which can be really challenging. The second is if it's not clear to clients and not clear to staff, it's really difficult for, for everybody to communicate it. So we ran into a situation where the clients didn't know what rewards they were earning, the staff didn't know what services would result in those rewards, and the program was really difficult to, to communicate quickly. That's why we defaulted to that 5% across the board that everybody gets back. And so what we've tried to do is identify those areas where we can remove complexity and what are kind of art examples of artificial complexity that practices are needlessly introducing. So for example, when you look at those forms, practices, if you give them the option, they'll put a hundred questions on those forms, right? So you need to figure out and the practice needs to figure out what are actually the key questions that are going to change the nature of that appointment versus just be kind of filler information that we're either going to ask again or not use. Because it's very rare that practices really look at it from the consumer's perspective, which is as a pet owner, I don't want to fill in 100 fields of information. I don't want to give you information if I think you should already have it. I don't want to give you information if you're just going to ask me those questions anyway. And so there's this balancing act between accommodating the complexity and customization that practices want for different workflows and what that ends up being for the end user, in this case, the pet owner. Hot damn. I love it. I mean, and I think you're nailing it too. It's just, we're trying to make things, both the technology you're doing, the technology we're doing. It's like everything should just be simple, should flow. If someone's dropping their pet off, just say, I'm in the silver Honda. I'm in the silver Toyota. My appointment stayed at 1130. I'm bringing Baxter in because his allergies are flaring up. That's it. You guys get alert. It's done. We're setting up rewards. As long as you guys facilitate the setup through GoFetch, it's great. Your clients will love it. You'll love it. And it's this really simple thing where you have this ability to get all these analytics. You're going to have all this PIMS integration. It's just going to be this way to retain clients and get new clients. It's that simple. Exactly. To your comment about the forms, I think that's a really 
good example where a lot of practices, and again, this is a good thing for doctors, right? You want your doctors to think of the reasons that things will break, right? If you're going in on the human side and you have an issue, you want to think of like, what are the worst case scenarios? Is my doctor considering that when they're working up my diagnostic plan or they're providing treatment options, et cetera. But that can be a real blocker to getting like other things started because not everything that practices do is life or death. Certainly some things are, and some things have outsized impacts on client experience and patient experience. It's important to acknowledge those edge cases. And I think that's another exercise that practices can go through, which is what are you worried is going to break? And what happens if this thing breaks in a way that we need to address? The classic example that a lot of practices have probably come across is like clients receiving messages that aren't like timely or appropriate. So the wrong appointment reminder, or they get a text or heaven forbid, like the client's pet has been deceased and you refer to that pet by accident. As systems get automated, there's always going to be chances of that happening if the data isn't properly kept up to date. And You need to think of like, what are we going to do in those situations? How do we prevent against that? Because otherwise you end up getting in a situation where you're so fearful of how your clients are going to react and and how the negative things that could come from implementing these tools that you never really focus on the positives, right? You never focus on the impact that this could have for your team and for your clients. And so you don't end up doing anything. And we've seen a lot of practices before that when you start talking about a particular tool or capability, they've had a bad experience or they've heard about a practice that had a bad experience. And so they're really naturally concerned about that. But if that ends up being a blocker to you ever trying something new, your practice isn't going to evolve. And so that's where that trust with your technology partner and that transparency is super critical and something that we take really seriously because the way that we look at it is we're forming this trusted relationship with the client. And as a result, we're able to grow our program. We need to be sure that we're honoring and reinforcing that trust at every touch point that we have. And sometimes that means being more available. That means making our data more available. That means a whole bunch of things on a day-to-day basis. But from practices, they can't, they have to get out of this mindset of fear from trying something new because otherwise they'll never grow man you like came to play today you were not messing around and i really like that i just have one final question for you so you and i are both named adam yeah we're both entrepreneurs we both are obsessed with technology you i know you you've tested out every single new piece of email software like superhuman and hey you're like me every time there's a new i hate email i get 300 a day i really hate it You and I also share 782 mutual connections on LinkedIn. (laughs) Everyone listening is like, where is this leading to? And it's leading to only one place. How have you done for the last year without any new Marvel content or movies? I'm not doing well. (laughs) It sucks. The replayability of the movies out there are are fantastic. You know, there's some crazy communities out there with all the the news that comes out for like the casting and things like that. So the YouTube, kind of the rewatchability of some of them. Infinity War and Thor Ragnarok in particular. And then some of the YouTube videos about like where they're going with like phase four and things I think are really interesting. But yeah, I can't wait to like watch one of those movies like big time in a theater because as much as I love streaming, I think there's a lot of movies that could be ported to home. There's something really unique about the theater experience where you're going to a movie like that. And I I really, uh, I do miss that. Don't even get me started. I'm just happy we finally got our She-Hulk. We finally got uh, our Moon Knight. I'm happy there. There's a lot of non-Marvel vet med people out there that are like, okay, nerds, we just keep giving us information. But I think every Hollywood actor now is part of the MCU these days. It seems like they're picking up more and more each day. I love it. 
I appreciate you jumping on, man. This was a lot of fun. You and I suck at keeping up with each other. It's always like a random text every other month. Like, hey, you got to check out this new email platform. And I'm like, oh, I'm using this one and I hate it. But (laughs) do keep us all updated on when GoFetch is coming to the US. I think that's going to be huge. You and I will do a good job of keeping up. And to everyone out there listening, Make sure you rate, subscribe, review the Whisker Talks podcast. We're on Spotify, Apple, Google, Stitcher. Let's end it with this. Where can people find you? What website do you want them to go learn about GoFetch and all of that stuff? Feel free to check out GoFetch.ca or hit me up on Twitter, Exponential Vet. Yeah, hopefully we can connect with some folks and just love hearing what practices are up to. So if you ever want to talk tech or, or share things that you're trying in the wild, I'd love to, to hear what practices are up to and kind of spitball new ideas. So hopefully that's helpful for folks. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me on and putting this together. It's a much needed platform to talk about these sorts of nitty gritty issues and ways that practices can approach this stuff because for all the things that they're maybe not doing as effectively there's so much opportunity to grow a lot of reasons to be excited adam you were amazing today and adam little you were also great (laughs) thanks for being here man and we'll talk soon yeah take care thanks adam